we see that often in spaces where we are dealing with white people, white right. women in particular, mm-hmm. that they will weaponize their fragility or weaponize their their femininity. Right. So it was great to see Julie not absorb that and actually call her out on it on the spot live for everyone to see. Welcome to Black Tea. My name is Melina Williams. I'm Andre Demise, and thank you for joining the show. If you're listening for the first time, this is the show where we have dope, necessary, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations in Canada's Black communities. We're changing the format this week because it is almost the end of the season, but it's also the end of the year. And we thought we would break down some moments we feel exemplified the best, and in my case, the worst in Blackness for 2018. We also have our guest weighing in. And to walk us through this year's W's and the L's, we have writer and rapper in studio with us. Hello, hello. This is A Harmony. I am a writer, a rapper. Um, you've probably seen my bylines in Exclaim or CBC or Bustle, A-Side. And yes, I'm excited to celebrate the W's and L's with you this year. So let's start with the best moment in TV Blackness this year. Uh, for me, the uh, the best moment in Blackness and TV this year was the FX drama Pose. I'm not sure if you guys, if you all watch that show. So Pose is kind of like an historical story. It's about New York's ballroom scene in the early 1980s during the onset of the, uh, the HIV AIDS crisis, um, but also when black queer culture was really starting to find itself in New York City. Pose basically is just about this uh, this ballroom club inside of New York City. And you get to see the uh, the insides and the machinations as to how the ballroom scene worked. You have, uh, you know, people from different houses that would basically compete against each other uh, for various categories. And everybody who came in and competed in these pageants basically had to dress or act or bring a look that evoked the category. And it was the most evocative piece of drama that I was able to watch all year. I mean, it touched on just about everything. It touched on, you know, the way that queer subcultures were often at odds with one another. It was just so beautiful and heartbreaking. And it, it, it even though it, it walked you through some like incredibly tragic stories, you know, the person who uh, was the announcer of the show, played by Billy Porter, you know, one of the most amazing actors of our generation, in my opinion, um, he finds out that he has HIV and, you know, after, um, you know, caring for his, uh, his sick partner who was dying from AIDS, you know, he then has to deal with how does he navigate being sort of like the figurehead of this ballroom scene while at the same time hiding from people the fact that he's getting sicker and sicker by the day. So that was, that was just an amazing show to me. And the episode that I think brought the most to the table was written by Janet Mock, who is a trans woman uh, and a trans writer who released a book last year. There's nothing I could say bad about that show. It was everything great in television. That was a great show. Didn't she direct that as well? Did she direct it too? I yeah, thought I, I thought she so. had just written it, but you know, if she directed it too, more power to her because it was the strongest episode of the season. Hey, Harmony, what about you? I would say this season of Atlanta was a oh, really great so moment in Black TV. That show oh, is yeah. amazing, first so of all. Dope. And I really like that they tell Black stories and they center Blackness, but they don't focus. Exact, but they don't focus on it. It's not too on the nose. Very meta, they, I guess. It is. Yeah. And they tell uh, inside jokes that only we would get, like the <laughs> yeah. entire Black Barbershop the barbershop. Episode. Yeah, yeah. So that was the when best episode. Like, and it was like so one crazy. long inside joke that like yeah. everyone in the Black culture knew we were yeah. laughing, we got the jokes, and they didn't 
have to explain things yeah. for an audience that, you know, might not understand it. The Teddy Perkins episode as well. That was, was the only one I couldn't watch. It was too disturbing. It was petrifying. I, I slept with my lights on for a week <laughs> after. It was petrifying. But that was just really great TV. They did some out-of-the-box yeah. scripting and some it was just amazing. That was a really good Did you see that Teddy Perkins also showed up to the Emmys? Yeah. No, I did not. See, I would be I would be See, I no, knew Donald Glover and Teddy Perkins were <gasps> pictured yeah. together. Okay, that's that, petrifying. He was supposed to be the person who played him, so there people were confused. I really it, so it wasn't him. I still think it was. I, I do too. Actually, that may have been his brother dressed up as Teddy Perkins. Oh, cuz when you look that's yeah. the thing the eyes kind of give it away and I was yeah. like those look like it's, childish it was Donald Glover eyes. I liked it when he that guy who was really pissing him off towards the end, um, who was like a hanger on and the bodyguard who started all those fights, <laughs> when he's like, I want to fight you, and he just got his ass kicked. Oh, yes. Yeah. So shout Y'all out washed. Donald Glover, because now we don't have to mention Childish Gambino also had a great year. So shout out <laughs> Donald Glover. Um, mine is Insecure. It's my favorite show. Um, I just watch it on loop. Uh, from Awkward Black Girl, Issa is just killing it. And even in terms of like the things she provides for artists looking in or even artists around her, the way she talks about networking, just she's just such a gem. And also Natasha Rothwell this week just signed an overall deal with HBO. Who played, she also plays Kelly in the Amazing. series. So. Mm. Just all around dopeness. So we should get to some negativity now, though. Celebrity L's. <laughs> Ooh, uh, mine has to be Kanye. That was just... Okay, so, but there's different elements. Which, is it TMZ? Is it mm-hmm. recently he um, he did a verse on XXX Tentacion's album? Oh, I didn't know he, that. And he's he's essentially like defending him and, and saying, what about the plaintiff? <sighs> or is it just him being Kanye? The problem I've had with him is that he ascended to, I think, what, what you could say is the top of the artistic rap game. Like, what he did for rap aesthetics with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, I, I think yeah. that no artist before him had been able to do that. And I think once he ascended to the top of the game, he then started seeking validation from people that really had no business validating him anyway. So he, you know, first he got into fashion culture, and then he didn't like that he didn't get the kind of accolades that he thought he deserved. Although it's really funny that, you know, his uh, his whole like Yeezy collection, which to me just looks like throwing a bunch of Jedi robes into a blender. Well, yeah, <laughs> but Yeezy models. always sells no matter <laughs> yeah, what. Does. Every and season sells out. That is now the aesthetic. <laughs> that is just what Right, and we now. all dress like that. Yeah. And I think that we have to separate Kanye's personal life, what we think of his personal life, and what he's doing in music. Like there's people that still think Pablo was a good album, even though Kanye was like mm-hmm. basically unraveling. Yeah. And my Dark Twisted Fantasy was like the apex of where he could go as a producer mm-hmm. and as a rapper. And his like style of rapping, he brought something new from college dropout. Like Kanye gave us so much. Do we have to expect him to keep giving just because he had a bad no, I, saw that. I don't think I expect him to keep giving. And, and I, you know, again, I'll credit due. I think that uh, the college dropout introduced a level of vulnerability in rap music that, that hadn't previously existed at that level. But the whole, you know, uh, seeking validation from fashion culture, when you don't find it, you jump into tech culture. When you don't get a billion dollars from Mark Zuckerberg, then you yeah. try your hand in politics and you start praising Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump is... You know, locking, locking up, you know, uh, uh, ref, uh, asylum seekers, uh, locking up their children and separating them from their parents and that he's banning Muslims. And you're, you get behind this because you think that there's something to be gained by reaching across the aisle. I don't know. But well, he said he didn't want reach across the aisle. He said it made him feel like a superhero. Well, yeah, it felt like, you know, putting and on Barack the Barack Obama hat. called him a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye is a thing that happened in 2018. And yeah. he is one giant L, but it's almost a W in how inventive he is <laughs> at finding new ways to fail every day. Yeah. yeah. But he also, but also people. finding new ways to soar. When he had that moment where he interrupted Taylor Swift, 
And he, I guess him and Vir- Vir- Virgil, who's now the fashion director at Louis Vuitton, they mm-hmm. yeah, interned yeah, at Prada. He canceled his whole tour with Lady Gaga, and that's where he started. And yeah, he did have problems with breaking his way into fashion, but he's managed to get out of that box now. So all of, if you if you actually watch his interview with Sway, I mean, I'm not saying it makes sense, but like that's what he was talking about. The respect that he's getting now. The shoes that we're wearing now. Well, yeah, it's just that to me, the respect that he's getting is the wrong kind. Because you, anybody, any black person can um, create a grift for themselves. Candace Owens does this perfectly. Is that if you basically say the racist things that white supremacists wish they could say openly, i.e., slavery seems like it was a choice to me. If you can say that kind of stuff as a black person, you will make money off it and you'll find fans and accolades. Yeah, and Kanye, and that's when he broke off from um, the MAGA sect because when she was taking credit for some fashion designs where it was like she wanted liberals to exit, I guess, the um, Democratic Party. Yeah, Yeah. but that was the break and that's where he stood up and said, like, I don't want to be used as a political tool. So again, Kanye keeps kind of dipping his foot in problematicness and bringing it back and asking us to accept him again. It runs its course after a while. And I think this year we started to see people finally get exhausted with him. Mm -hmm. Like there's only so much that you can dip your toe in and out of that problematic Mm -hmm. behavior. There's only so much forgiveness. Well, when you were at the White House promising to build Donald Trump this amazing superpowered jet to replace Air Force One and unlocking your phone in front of cameras and your unlock code is zero, 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 zero. (laughs) That's not dipping your foot in. You are headfirst in problematicness. Okay, so we're going to move on to one more L before we move on to some W's. Kevin Hart, the Lena Dunham of black people. (sighs) Kevin, it's like all of his apologies sound the same. So Kevin Hart is a world-famous comedian, and he recently had to step down from hosting the Oscars like a day after they made the announcement because he refused to apologize for homophobic tweets in the past, which I guess he's saying he had addressed before. But in doing all of these things, he basically offended the LGBTQ community, and he got a phone call, and they're basically like, you need to actually apologize before you can host this. And he said, my principles, and I'm too positive. And he basically like decided to use the same apology that he just used for having a Cowboys and Indians theme birthday party for his one-year-old child and when he cheated on his wife last summer and decided to tell all of us about how hard it was. He's so thirsty for attention and sympathy and he's so successful. It's mind-blowing. Well, did he actually apologize? He ended up apologizing afterwards, which to me, so there's two things there. A, you can't force remorse. If he's going to be a jerk, he's just going to be a jerk. And it's kind of like, okay, you have to accept that he's just a jerk. Maybe don't give him opportunities like hosting the Oscars, but you can't force him to feel bad about something that he doesn't feel bad about. Yeah. What I have the issue with, though, is if you don't feel bad and you're going to, you know, your principles, you're going to stand firm in what you believe in, then don't renege and the next positivity. day. Well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's and always then, positive when you're being called out for something well, negative. that too. And then the thing is, the apology seems that much more insincere once yeah. you say, I'm not, I'm not sorry, I'm not going to apologize. I addressed this already. And then it's, oh, well, actually, I am sorry the next day. Like, come on, why, why bother? Once you dig your heels in, then just keep your heels in the mud. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Keep that same energy. Yeah. Kevin said, I have made the choice to step down from hosting this year's Oscars. This is because I do not want to be a distraction on a night that should be celebrated by so many amazing, talented artists. I sincerely apologize to the LGBTQ community for my insensitive words in the past. So we ended up apologizing. Then he says, I'm sorry that I hurt people. I am evolving and want to continue to do so. My goal is to bring people together, not tear us apart. Much love and appreciation to the Academy. I hope we can meet again. Well, I mean, 
my POV on that is if you're the kind of person that makes the, I mean, he was talking about, you know, what he would do if his son was gay. And it's almost like, almost like every black comedian has that. He said he would hit his son yeah, in the face. Every he didn't say what he would do. comedian has that joke about what abuse they would inflict on their children if it's they found so out their bad. children were gay. And it's like, okay, if that's how you believe, then you just don't get to host shows. That's exactly. just the simple long and short of it. And I, I really don't want to, I don't want to hear but how, what does this have to do with his growth? Obviously, he's not growing if he refused to apologize. I almost feel that it's uh, it's better to not apologize once you've, do, you've dug your heels in that way because I don't take you seriously anymore. You know, if you say, well, I, I addressed this in the past and why is this becoming a negative thing? Well, okay, then. I don't know why people talk about positivity when they f*** up. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah. Let's move on to a W, Julie Black. It's important for us to really look at what book is going to have Canada open their eyes to what is happening on today. And yes, we, we celebrate and we heal and we kumbaya and we light. Oh, but Julie, what about what's you know happening what I mean? with ourselves? I mean, I mean this that's is a pr- good, Yeah, we've got to change the world, but people are really, there are a lot of like, screwed up people in There's the world. There's a lot you know? of colonial There's privilege There's a lot of people happening. that really This need, room right? excluded, of course. And this so, studio excluded. Yeah, and, and that's that's a lot of people that have to work on themselves. I mean, when we There's see a lot people of people that are people sit in their cottages in their homes and don't have an experience like others and think that it's, well, you know, let me swipe my visa card and make a donation, but I don't live this experience. What are we doing to change the current circumstances? We just had a pope say he's not saying I'm sorry to indigenous Canadians when he said that in 2015. It is happening right now. I'm not saying it's it. got I, to change. Uh, yes, we forgive. I believe in Jesus. But why do are you others, attacking shall me, Julie? Why no, no, are you no. attacking it, me? No, no, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I have. Hold on, we live right now. Why are you attacking me? I'm not oh, attacking. The no, truth I'm... hurts. I didn't say anything to attack you, Jeannie Becker. I said nothing oh, about Jeannie Becker. No, no, I, I'm just saying. You're, I, Did I, I say feel anything about Jeannie Becker? I just feel that you're speaking to me um, like I, I don't believe that. I totally get what you're saying. Let me tell you what you just said. I feel like. So whatever you're feeling, take it to the altar, because I'm not the one that's responsible for your feelings. The W for 2018 <laughs> wow, right let's there. Start Thank going you, Jesus. In. Okay, well, how do we feel about, um, about uh, Julie Black destroying Jeannie Becker? <laughs> Can I just tell a story about Jeannie Becker quickly? It's so funny. I just remember you this this ahead. morning. My dad used to be like the biggest joker in the world, worse than me, and like embarrassing people all the time. And he saw Jeannie Becker at, I don't remember what kind of game it was. It obviously wasn't the beloved Raptors because I don't think they existed. Some sort of athletic game. And he runs up to her and he goes, wow, are you Jeannie Petty? Oh. <laughs> and she was like, I am Jeannie Becker, like breathing fire. <laughs> and he came home so proud that he embarrassed her. But, oh, that's, awful. that's great. That's also awful. Um, what I really loved about that is when Julie Black read Jeannie Becker, she didn't just do it in in a way that white Canada could understand, mm-hmm. that whole take it to the altar thing, that is black church language. Mm-hmm. That is some Pentecostal church business. So the way that she did it and so eloquently take it to the altar because I'm not the one that's responsible for your feelings. I almost fell out of my chair <laughs> at that moment. And I, what I love too was that when she, she, she not only says, you know, I'm not attacking you, Jeannie Becker. And then she turns to the audience. <laughs> am, she I asks them, am I attacking Jeannie Becker? <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I yeah, think it was, it was the, the moment when, I think the tide kind of turned where we understood that being fragile in the face of somebody talking about white supremacy, being a black person or an indigenous person or whatever uh, culture you identify with, you don't get to tell people that their experiences are not valid. You don't get to tell people to like back off yeah. and not talk about this so much because it's making me uncomfortable. You don't get to do that. Your feelings are not valid. 
Absolutely. Oh, that was a giant exhale for pretty much every Black woman that I know, um, because we've all had those take it to the altar moments where we couldn't necessarily articulate ourselves the same way, either because we were too hot or we couldn't, you know, in the environment that we were in, express ourselves that way. But it was like a collective exhale for everyone. I'm so I replayed that on a loop. Daily for a long time. It was therapeutic for me. And it's true. We we see that often in spaces where we are dealing with white people, white right. women in particular, mm-hmm. that they will weaponize their fragility or weaponize their, their femininity. Right. White women are kind of protected as these they, delicate all, white flowers. Patriarchy exists, will ex- exist to protect them. Exactly. So they benefit. Exactly. And they're quick to weaponize mm-hmm. that when they feel threatened or when they don't have an articulate counterpoint to whatever right. it is that you're saying or whatever point you're making. Right. So it was great to see Julie not absorb that and actually call her out on it on the spot live for everyone to see. Shout out Julie Black. Okay, so my win for the year, uh, in sports at least, has just been what the NBA has been up to over the past year. Like, it's just, if you're a basketball fan, I, I feel like the NBA has replaced the NFL, which replaced Major League Baseball as America's sport. If you want to see what is going on in America and you want to feel connected to people that you've never met before, whether at a sporting event or just like watching the drama that's unfolding, you have to watch the NBA. You know, there's a sort of like the the L that turned into a dub, which was the Toronto Raptors, which, you know, for the last several years have just been increasing their win record year after year after year, but then keep on washing out of the playoffs. And I think the president of basketball operations at Toronto Raptors, Masai Ujiri, I think he's found the way to not only make the team better, but to make Kyle Lowry better, which is just to break his heart. Like, take something away from him that he loves, and he will play even better. <laughs> He's almost... So every year, the Raptors, they play a few games, and it's like we're supposed to be excited. Well, I mean... See they, you at game they're, five they're of, the, regular... of the second round of the playoffs. Well, they keep year. on getting to the conference final, <laughs> and then they keep on washing out. Like, they washed out two years in a row against uh, LeBron and the Cavaliers. But they started off with their best record, not only for the team, but in the entire NBA. And I think there are a finals caliber team this year. I think they will actually make it to the NBA finals. Hey, Harmony, how do you feel about the NBA? Well, I am only a casual sport watcher, but my uh, W for the like black year in sports is sport adjacent. It's mm-hmm. LeBron opening his elementary school in Ohio, mm-hmm. which I thought was really wonderful. And I love the radical model that he's using in terms of uh, a really holistic approach to el- education. Not only are the students getting schooling, but they're also getting bikes. They're also getting, uh, their parents are getting GED courses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that. So I that was really great to see. And it was the perfect clapback to the whole shut up and dribble yeah. thing. Oh, like yeah. he came and clapped back hard. He was like, okay, I'll show you. And it's it's great to see. Great. Okay. So there's been a little bit of contention on the next W um, because it's for Tory Lanes and people express shock that I'm giving Tory Lanes. Freestyle extraordinaire, real rapper who actually goes in and spits bars a W for his joiner Lucas beef. Basically, he's having a beef with Joyner Lucas, who's a very successful, I wouldn't say up-and-coming rapper, but um, he's worked with Eminem a lot in the past. They had a really big hit single with Lucky Me. He also did a big song um, called I'm Not Racist. I think it was a couple years ago. I really didn't like it either, but (laughs) it's how he, you know, came onto the scene at this point. And him and Tori have been beefing, and um, there's been an exchange of four songs. Three of them were over the Liddy beat, which I love. It's a Tori Lane's Meek Mill song. And uh, Joyner got eaten by Tory Lanez. Hey, Harmony, what did you think of this beef? I didn't pay attention to it <laughs> uh, just because of the two artists who were involved. Mm-hmm. But I did um, like see bits and pieces in my travels. And I heard <laughs> that Tory actually 
finish the beef by going on Instagram or doing an interview. Like, he was outside of the booth. It wasn't on a record. And he declared himself the winner of the beef. And to me, that's automatic forfeit. Well, on wax is when he declared it, in okay. my opinion, because he has he basically spends up a, one of the last um, parts of the freestyle over the Liddy beat. And um, he actually imitates Joyner Lucas in the rhyme. It's really funny. And Joyner responded, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Joyner responded with, but at, at that point, it was it was done. Uh. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the beefs too. It's just, I, uh, oh, you know what? Chalk it's not up. the beefs. Tori yeah. killed this. Chalk one up for the short kings. I really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he. Yes, he's five three. But does he hide that? No, no, not at all. Can he, he, he actually hide embraces that? it? <laughs> He, he can't, no. I mean, he, he hides by default just by standing <laughs> up. <laughs> that happened once. <laughs> the okay. internet never forgets. Um, Meek Mill was a huge dub for this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this oh. is something I really appreciate is that, first of all, like, you know, he took some serious, serious L's, you know, both in the Drake beef, which I was just going to get to, because uh, I think that this Joining Lucas Tory Lane's beef is just lyrically way better than anything that Meek Mill and Drake produced. But I, I really appreciate when rappers use their personal experiences to inject it to the broader consciousness. So Meek Mill, there was a, a lengthy Rolling Stone profile about him earlier this year about why he's in jail. And we know that, uh, you know, we've, we've heard about this judge uh, from Philly that's just been sort of dogging him throughout his entire life. But if you read the Rolling Stone article on Meek Mill, you see that, like, it's not just one judge. It's the entire justice system has yeah. colluded to keep this man in prison. Now, it doesn't matter how high he climbs or how much money he makes or how respected he is in hip-hop circles. They will do everything they can to remind him that he's just this hood that does not deserve anything. Well, that's what his album was about. That's why it's making people feel so emotional. Like 21 Savage tweeted, yeah. it's making him it's making him cry. Every rapper is like, even the rappers that aren't even on it. I think it's a wonderful turnaround for him because like you said, Andre, he took so many L's and he's managed to turn that around. The thing is, when the entire justice system is coming after you and trying everything they can to keep you locked down, for me, I'd become a cynic. I'd become jaded. I don't Mm. know if I'd have it in me to actually Mm -hmm. use my platform to speak out and call these people out on it. So the fact that he even has the strength to do that and is using his platform to call attention to everything that he's been through, but things that people who don't have his same position of privilege with having this wide platform can't speak to because they're either still locked down or nobody will listen to them when they speak. So the fact that he's able to turn that situation around um, and call attention to it and have the strength to do that is is phenomenal. And he actually said on Breakfast Club, I think he was on last week, he was saying that like, yeah, I'm speaking out against these things, but I'm not going to go back to prison speaking out against it. Like this is real. Like he asked him um, when he was doing an interview on CNN, do you really think I would, one of the charges him pointing a gun at a police officer. He's like, do you really think I would do that? The guy was like, oh, well, you're here to be interviewed. Like, people don't know how to respond to him because he's being so real. And I think that's great. But I can't not mention the fact that he's been f***ing on my queen. Well, Nicki Minaj, who, you know, I've, as a barb, I really have kind of left her out of this show because I don't want to use it for my own personal gain. <laughs> and I know how angry people get at barbs because we actually just stand for a bad f- but I will say, um, Nikki something. gets an honorable mention for me because she took a variety of W's and a variety of L's this year. And a real barb knows when your head barb is dead. Like there have been times where I've been like, can somebody please check on our queen? <laughs> One of those times was the Cardi V and Meek song that just came out called On Me. Because at this point, because Cardi and Nikki's beef has been like to basically defined every single line that they do, including like Nikki's whole Transformer verse and basically her whole bar, like her whole album is about Cardi and vice versa. So Cardi and Meek, you know when people like get together to hate? It's very powerful. Like haters really united on this song and Cardi said, you know, I'm a big boss 
do not come in your size. And I was like, damn, I agree. What do we, what is Nikki? Like, we need to check on her. Nikki's had a rough year and Meek did not help. Like, your ex is in the studio with your nemesis and he's saying this isn't any of my business. Nikki's not in the studio with, she wasn't in. She, well, no, she, she took, wasn't she in the studio with Drake. Photo. She took an IG photo with Drake. In the yeah, studio. but now Drake and Nikki have unfollowed each other on Instagram because she oh. was doing that, and Dr- and so Drake is the one who's choosing Meek now. And it's like, hey, hello. Can I just make a point about the power of people uniting to hate and how powerful that can be? Please do. <laughs> a previous episode where the two of you united to hate against Chad Johnson. <laughs> Chad, he's was another. So powerful. It was so powerful that it caused him to exactly. break up. It caused. It saved <laughs> Michelle from that train wreck of a marriage that she was headed towards. So. Congratulations to you both. <laughs> so yesterday they announced they were together and actually A Harmony was the one who ended up sharing this information with me. It's not our fault. Anybody could tell that Chad made I say count that W. <laughs> we okay. are influential. <laughs> Michelle, we're not saying we saved you, but we did kind of save you. So thank God for us. <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk about uh, a huge W this year. So, Essie Adugian, who is uh, an amazing, amazing writer of Ghanaian descent. Uh, she's Canadian. She she was the finalist for the Man Booker Prize for her latest book, Washington Black. And then she won the Giller Prize for her book, Washington Black. Mm-hmm. She won the Giller Prize after having written a previous Giller Prize winning book, Half-Blood Blues, which was like... Probably the best piece of Canadian writing that I think I've written, I've read in the last 10 years. I don't know how talented one would have to be to write back-to-back novels that win the Giller Prize. I didn't know what it took until I heard about this person. I think that that's, um, it's inspiring for me and I think it should be inspiring for just about every Canadian. Not just, you know, black Canadians, but I'm talking about every Canadian who believes that we have something to say in the literary scene because I think we went through like a really long dry spell. I would say like through the 90s and early 2000s where there was just, I didn't really feel that there was writing that I could relate to. And seeing Essie's work and just how she's been gracious and open and just having some really dope conversations about this is not necessarily just a black experience. This is experience, like her previous novel, Half-Blood Blues, was about a half-black person getting caught on the wrong side of uh, Nazi expansionism into Europe. So hats off to her. I mean, that was that's that's amazing. It's dope. One of the biggest L's that I've observed this year were white people. They took I mean they took a, they took L's but they still own the whole world. But one of the L's that they took was publicly being shamed for calling the police on black people or just kind of ignoring black people, pushing mm-hmm. them aside. A lot of white women engaged in this. I mean, we see it all the time. But the media refers to these people as barbecue what Becky. With this there's laws about this park and I know the laws about this park and charcoal grills are not allowed here (laughs) so they should go buy a new grill because I I just looked at it and it doesn't say anything grills in here I don't care are you sure are you sure it's not because you don't want black people being out here it has nothing to do with their race it seems like a new Jim Crow going on because for some reason every time I see it black people are the ones targeted regarding barbecuing Kermit Patty San Francisco 911, what's the exact location? Hi, yes. Hi, I'm having someone that um, does not have a vendor permit that's selling water across from the ballpark. Uh, and I added Airplane Alice because there was a um, person on an airplane that was looking for a doctor and a black woman repeatedly raised her oh, hand. Yeah, and she was that. like, I'm looking for a real doctor. And it's just like, okay. So I am an actual doctor. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, obviously. So you're willing to let somebody <laughs> die possibly because you were too racist to believe a black woman. And, yeah, a and it's implicit bias. It's just like, 
And now it's just we're basically telling people like you can't call the police on us for existing, for being in a park. And then how uncomfortable these people look when they're being confronted. Like that woman at a dorm who was calling the police on a black student for sleeping, for taking a nap. And it's like, just say you're mad at our existence and go. So what do you guys think of these people? It's absolutely wonderful to watch them grapple with their own discomfort. Mm-hmm. Once once the black person in question calls them out and says, hey, this is actually pretty racist and I'm just here existing and you're getting this worked up mm-hmm. to see them grapple with that after and say like, oh, wow, I really look stupid. Like just seeing it written across their face yeah. and slowly seeing them come to that realization is is delicious to what see. I, yeah, I love like seeing the wheel. You can see the wheels turning in their head. <laughs> like, wow, I am being really racist right now, but I've already committed this far. So let me just keep going with <laughs> exactly. that and see it's where like I get. It's like a cartoon almost. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's the public shaming part is obviously delightful, but the other side of it is if we think about before the internet, before we were documenting our stories, because as lighthearted as this is, this is a documentation of our stories. How many of us have gotten killed because people have called the police or just called an authority or called a security guard with a gun or a child was holding a toy gun and like people putting their hands in their pockets like this is a painful history so again like it's interesting to see how we can all come together to, and we all instinctively understand this. And calling out these barbecue Beckys kind of makes it more difficult for white people who are inflicting this type of violence right. on us to gaslight us afterwards and say, right. well, it's just in your mind. And so you know we're not really racist. racist. Right. Exactly. Before, I mean, a couple of years ago, and Stephen still now, it, it wasn't okay to actually name white supremacy. And now, that, now it actually is becoming that way. It's still incredibly difficult. But the more we name all these insidious things that happen, the more people can't deny that they're implicit in it. Uh, there's, there is a when you do something that insidious and that racist and and that threatening to Black folks simply for existing and making you feel uncomfortable. Well, then the social repercussion of that is the internet does not forget you. Thank you so much for joining us, A Harmony. We really enjoyed your perspective. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Frequency Podcast Network for housing us and our sister shows. Thank you to our show producer, Ryan Clark. And our music producer, Black Orchid. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find me at Andre Demise. You can find me at Milena Williams. And you can find our wonderful guest at A Harmony Music. You can listen to the show on the FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. If you like us, bless us with that five-star rating. And if you really, really like us, drop a written review. We love seeing them. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.